Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 89 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading James chapter 2 today, and our focus is on how faith always produces good works. No good works means no faith. Do James and Paul contradict each other? Well, thanks for tuning in. We are a daily podcast of about 10 minutes or so where we read one Bible chapter a day and discuss it. Welcome to new listeners in Scotland, United Kingdom, Madhya Pradesh, India, Washington, D.C., and Tupelo, Mississippi. Thank you all for listening. I do want to point you to our website, Bible2021.com, and I would encourage you to share the show with friends and neighbors and friends on social media by posting a link to the episode or to our website, Bible2021.com. In James chapter 2, we find that James is going to challenge believers very hard with the interplay between faith and works. Quite possibly, James is writing and dealing with a group of people who are claiming that they did not need to do good works to please God since they were already saved. Perhaps they thought they had punched their ticket to heaven and could relax. That's speculation, of course. We don't know for sure. But like Paul's letter to the Galatians, which was written in large part to correct the view that circumcision was necessary for salvation, the book of James also seems written to correct some erroneous views. Some people look at James 2.24 and they see a big conflict between Paul's teaching of salvation by grace alone through faith alone and what James says, James says in James 2.24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, I think what we are seeing here is actually Paul emphasizing that salvation is by faith and not by works. And James is emphasizing that salvation will always produce and be accompanied by good works. These two truths are both true. Maybe they're almost paradoxical but they do not contradict each other. Our friends at gotquestions.org help us to see this, saying, The question of faith alone, or faith plus works, is made difficult by some hard-to-reconcile Bible passages, like Romans 3.28, Romans 5.1, and Galatians 3.24, with our passage today, James 2.24. Some see a difference between Paul and James. Paul dogmatically says that justification is by faith alone in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, while James might be saying or appears to be saying that justification is by faith plus works. This apparent problem, however, is answered by examining exactly what James is talking about, the context. James is refuting the belief that a person can have faith without producing any good works. We see that in verses 17 and 18. James is emphasizing the point that genuine faith in Christ will produce a changed life and good works. We see that in verses 20 through 26. James is not saying that justification is by faith plus works, but rather he's saying that a person who is truly justified by faith will have good works in his or her life. If a person claims to be a believer but has no good works in his or her life, then he or she likely does not have genuine faith in Christ. Paul says the same thing in his writings. The good fruit believers should have in their lives listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 points that out. Immediately after telling us that we are saved by faith, not works, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul informs us that we were created to do good works in Ephesians 2, 10. Paul expects just as much of a changed life out of believers as James does. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come, 
says 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. James and Paul do not disagree in their teaching regarding salvation. They approach the same subject from different perspectives with different emphases, Paul emphasizing that justification is by faith alone, while James puts emphasis on the fact that genuine faith in Christ produces good works. Well, let's read our passage. James chapter 2, verse 1 in the New International Version. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, there's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful." Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Well, here's our verse of the day, James 2.17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And Paul says something very similar in the last letter we read, Galatians 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Friends, faith will always express itself through love and actions. Charles Spurgeon himself wrestles with the question of whether James and Paul contradict each other, but concludes that they don't, explaining, What James means here, however, is this, no doubt, in brief and short, that while faith saves, it is faith of a certain kind. No man is saved by persuading himself that he is saved. Nobody is saved by believing that 
Jesus Christ died for him alone. That may be or may not be true in the sense in which he understands it. In a certain sense, Christ died for all men, but since it is evident that many men are lost, Christ's dying for all men is not at all a ground upon which any man may hope to be saved. Christ died for some men in another sense, in a peculiar and special sense. No man has a right to believe that Christ peculiarly and specially died for him until he has an evidence of it in casting himself upon Christ and trusting in Jesus and bringing forth suitable works to evidence the reality of his faith. The faith that saves is not a historical faith, not a faith that simply believes a creed and a certain set of facts. I have no doubt that the devils are very orthodox. I do not know which church they belong to, though there are some in all churches. There was one in Christ's church when he was on earth, for he said one was filled with devils, and there are some in all churches. Devils believe all the facts of revelation. I do not believe they have a doubt. They have suffered too much from the hand of God to doubt his existence. They felt too much the terror of his wrath to doubt the righteousness of his government. They are stern believers, but they are not saved. And such a faith, if it be in us, will not, cannot save us, but will remain to all intents and purposes a dead, inoperative faith. It is a faith which produces works which saves us. This works do not save us. But a faith which does not produce works is a faith that will only deceive and cannot lead us into heaven. And I think what Spurgeon is saying there is that Simply believing that Jesus is the Son of God, or Jesus died on the cross, or Jesus rose from the dead, that simple belief is not necessarily an evidence of faith. We are saved by faith, which is belief, but it is a faith initiated by Jesus, focused on Jesus, that goes beyond simply believes believing in a set of facts, and actually believes in Him personally for salvation from our sin personally. I think that's what faith is about. The focus of that faith is not on the facts. The focus of that faith is on Jesus who did the facts. Well, let's close with our memory verse of the month for March, Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely, amen, those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. So then, my friends, let us look to Jesus and be saved and rejoice in the fact that he is interceding for us now. Good day to you and Godspeed.